Welcome to the College Student Success Podcast, a podcast where college students and faculty come together to talk about mental health, wellness, mentorship, and entrepreneurship. Together, we set and achieve goals for ourselves to get us where we want to be. I'm your host, Derek Malenzak, and this is episode 92 of the podcast. And I am super excited, as always, to be here today and a little bit different. So usually I'll have a little uh, stuff to talk about before I bring on a guest when I'm doing an interview, but I don't have anything. So we're just going to jump right into it. And I have our guest right here. His name is Dr. Gregory Townley, and he is an assistant professor of community psychology at Portland State University. Uh, Welcome to the show, Dr. Townley. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Is it all right if I call you Greg? Oh, that's great. That's okay. Perfect. Uh, so really happy to have you on the show. So today we're going to be talking about, um, among other things, uh, the importance of distal supports. Uh, that's sort of where I found out about you listening to a presentation you had done over the summer. Um, but before we get into that discussion, I'm really excited to have it because uh, it's not a topic I had thought about a lot for... Um, for people with mental illness or, or college students, for that matter, until I'd heard your t- your presentation. But uh, first off, maybe just kind of give the audience a, a taste or a flavor uh, for who you are and kind of how you became involved uh, in uh, working with people with mental illness and, and involved with community psychology. Great. Yeah, I can do that. So I um, grew up in taken away back, right? Grew up in North Carolina, went to undergraduate at uh, NC State University and uh, was um, studying psychology and had a double major in Africana studies and was lucky enough to do a project where I was um, uh, studying uh, actually slave plantation tourism. And at the time, I didn't know it was community psychology, but I later learned in this uh, ethnographical research I was doing at these various um, plantations throughout North and South Carolina that um, it was community psychology. And I didn't find that out until taking an advanced um, uh, early graduate level course on community psychology at NC State um, uh, with advisor Kwesi Brookins, who encouraged me to um, kind of change my plans from going a straight clinical psychology route to considering uh, adding community psychology to that lens and uh, led me to a program at the University of South Carolina in clinical community psychology. And it was really a great opportunity to combine my interest in providing um, psychotherapy to individuals while also considering the broader influence of physical and social environmental factors that impact our well-being. And I, I quickly realized that um, community psychology was really where my uh, my heart was and really helping individuals and communities um, find wellness um, via um, uh, relationships with others and via things like their neighborhoods and the housing they have. Um, I was lucky enough to work with uh, Brett Kluse at University of South Carolina on research um, with individuals with serious mental illnesses. We had a variety of of studies we were doing around the state um, examining uh, supported housing. And so these are um, locations where individuals are um, living both with other mental health consumers and also uh, scattered around the community, but typically have um, a voucher and have some uh, connections to supports uh, that are tailored to their needs. And we did um, uh, research throughout my time in graduate school uh, with this population, and it's where this uh, distal research um, first came from, and we'll get to that eventually. Um, In addition to to research interests, um, also uh, identify as a person with lived experience of mental health challenges. And so that also informs my work in this area and has also um, allowed me a lot of great opportunities to connect with peers 
uh, both professionally and personally. You know, I've been involved with um, a lot of consumer-run uh, nonprofit organizations, helping them to implement and evaluate services, conduct peer support trainings, uh, et cetera, and, and certainly understand how important um, the, the need to help college students with mental illnesses is, um, having been one myself. Wow, that's awesome. I didn't know that. And, um, you know, that's like so much about what I'm all about too. I'm in recovery for, for substance abuse, but, um, so it's, it's sort of, I, I can relate in some ways and, um, with the, the pureness and it just is something I'm so into right now. Um, just how, I don't know, it just seems like so much more effective coming from a peer <laughs> is what I'm yeah. learning. <laughs> I think there's just a different lens and a sensitivity and, um, uh, I think that um, the current environment I'm in now, so I'm at Portland State University now, and this is um, a city and a university that uh, I've found to be supportive. Mm-hmm. Certainly, there's always room to grow, and there's uh, obviously lingering uh, stigma that's always an issue, both in the workplace and in our communities. But um, I think there are a lot of people here doing really great works and a lot of peer advocacy that's really, really strong here. Yeah. Definitely. We'll have to chat a little bit more about that after uh, off air. But uh, for the for the audience out there, we mentioned the term distal supports. And I I bet a lot of them out there have no clue what that means. And actually, I didn't when I when I saw the title of your presentation. Uh, So why don't you kind of get into like what that means uh, and how uh, how you came to, you know, or, or we'll just start with how what it means and then we'll get to the research. Sure. Yeah, it's it's a term that, you know, it's very jargony. So, yeah, you hear distal support. It doesn't on the, on the face make a lot of sense. But I think when you start to explain it, um, it's really the naturally occurring supports that people have in the community. And it's support provided through casual community relationships that's really developed via regular contact with other individuals living and working in the same communities. Sometimes it's referred to as a weak tie or a loose tie. But it's, a, in essence, a relationship that um, doesn't often demand the same level of, of, of investment that, say, a relationship with an intimate partner or a parent or a friend or um, a child does. It's someone that you may see at the grocery store regularly who checks you out um, or someone at a restaurant or a coffee shop, a barista. could be a pharmacist, someone that you're going to pr- uh, pick up a prescription from um, can be sometimes people talk about congregation members or, or members of spiritual communities, um, sometimes neighbors. Uh, but I usually think of it as not even that close of a relationship. And it's really just the people that you see on a regular basis while you do your daily activities that becomes kind of part of your support network, not by virtue of what they're doing for you, but just being kind of a constant presence in your life. Yeah. So I got to, as you were saying that, I was like sort of brainstorming some of like the people in my life that I, mean, I want to run it by. It's like would neighbors kind of fall into this category? That's where, again, like some people um, have included them in the measurement of mm-hmm. distal support. Some people have included people in spiritual communities. But um, I really think that uh, neighbors uh, are a closer relationship than mm-hmm. distal supports. Distal supports. Um, wouldn't be someone you see daily, wouldn't mm-hmm. be someone that you're necessarily knocking on the door and asking, you know, to borrow a cup of sugar to use that kind of classic um, yep. notion. Uh, they're really someone that you may see only once a week and you may not even know their name or much about their life, but they recognize you and they make you feel welcome when you come into to an establishment. That's usually someplace like a restaurant or a diner, um, perhaps a library, a pharmacy. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that. it's like I, there's a couple of people at the Dunkin' Donuts down my street that are like, you know, the regular servers there. 
Yeah. It's like, they're not quite to the point where they know what I order, you know, and it's like, I'll have the usual, but like, you know, they nod. It's like, you kind of have that like, okay, you know who I am. You know, I'm going to pay with a credit card because I always do that. <laughs> yeah. Relation. Yeah. And for, for me, it's the, uh, the clerks of the comic book store. So I collect, uh, collect records and comics. And so every, every week, every Wednesday, new comic books come out. And so I go to this one store and they, they know me, they know my interests. Um, they always greet me. We chat a little bit, but it was only maybe after two years of going there that I even broached the subject of what is your name? And we, and then we started talking about where we're from and, you know, what we're doing for holidays and all that. But there's something really important, um, you know, relationships are taxing. A lot of people do struggle with relationships, with the upkeep of relationships. And so the fact that you can have someone that you don't owe anything to in that regard, you don't have to respond to a text, you don't have to take them to the airport early in the morning, um, but you still get something from the fact that they recognize you and they, 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 that they know you. And I think that that's especially beneficial for people um, with mental illnesses given research that suggests that um, their networks are often smaller, they're less interconnected, so they're less diverse, um, less variety of ties, and they're often um, very much kind of grounded in um, relationships that are sometimes dependent ones, where they are um, in relation with a, a service provider or someone who's doing something for them, rather than something that really exists naturally and becomes part of their routine and part of what makes them feel um, a, a sense of belonging to their communities. Yeah. No, I could totally relate to that. I, I'm, I'm fine that maybe, I don't know if this qualifies, but I've, I've been boring my audience to death telling them about my love of yoga. Um, but I, I just got into it semi recently. And, um, so like, there's like the people at the yoga studio now <laughs> that I see, you know, once or twice a week They're like, there's the fellow students that are just like the ones that take the same class I do. And, Maybe they seem to qualify, I would think, as, as distal supports. And also, like, the yeah. staff there, you know? Yeah. And it's like what you said, like, sometimes I might, you know, engage one of them after class. It's like, oh, I'm feeling in a social kind of mood or, you know, I'm something piqued my interest during the class. Uh, and other times I just want to, like be in my own world and get the hell out of there as soon as it's done. And I don't know anything to them. You know, it's not, not going to be like they judge me for it. Um, but at the same time, like what I've learned is like in the few months, it's only been like three or four months that I've been going to the studio. Like I remember the first time one of the workers there knew my name, like without checking me in. You know, and they were just like greeted me and before and they were like, oh, hey, Derek. And I was like, oh, she already knew my name. Yeah. And it, it didn't make me like some people I think might feel a little creeped out by that, like maybe really early on. But like this was at a, right, a reasonable time. Like I'd been going there, you know, a few weeks and it made me I know it made me feel like more of a belonging, you know, and I know that 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 has to translate to like positive outcomes some, somehow. So like maybe you could summarize a little bit of what you've learned uh through the evidence that you've collected about distal supports and their impact on people with disabilities, psych disabilities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was mentioning the research that um, I did uh, when uh, I was at University of South Carolina with Brett Kluse, and we, uh, in our studies, often include a lot of questions about relationships. And I think in the first couple studies, it was primarily um, kind of the, the typical questions around how many friends do you have, how many family members, you know, are you married, or do you have a romantic partner? Um, how many people at your, you know, 
congregation or place of worship do you feel close to? How many neighbors? And then we were getting information that was suggesting that people had pretty small networks. In some cases, people couldn't even um, uh, think of individuals to name in those categories. And so we started to want to find a, um, a different way to ask about social support um, and very interested in this idea of community integration, community inclusion, and finding ways for people to have opportunities to uh, participate broadly throughout their communities. And so wanted to try to tap into some supports that happened at these locations where people are going on their daily routines and um, found a measure that had been um, uh, uh, devised or um, made by some researchers at Yale and Pittsburgh. Melissa Weiland was the um, first author on this paper. It was a 2007 publication. And it essentially asks people to go through a series of questions and asks you to name um, a place where you uh, regularly go for um, grocery shopping, a place where you go to pick up a prescription, a place where you go to a restaurant or cafe, another type of store, and then any other public places. So it asks about five community locations. And for each community location, you're asked a series of questions. You're asked, do people there recognize and acknowledge you when you come in? Do you feel welcome there? Do you know the names of people there? Um, do they know your name? And do they sometimes help you out in times of need? And if so, please describe that. And people can um, uh, people respond to each of those. And if you respond affirmatively to at least three of the five questions, that location is considered a distal support in the measurement of distal supports. So if you say like, yeah, there's this restaurant I go to, but people there don't recognize you, you don't feel welcome, they don't know your name, you don't know their names, they don't help you out in times of need, it wouldn't be considered a distal support. So there is some sort of kind of minimum level of, of contact and of support that is required for a place to be called in this in this measurement um, a distal support. So you can have a maximum of five of these distal supports in the measure we were using. Um, and we asked people and people immediately, you know, were able to respond to it. They, they found it engaging. They enjoyed talking about the places they go in their communities. Um, and we, we used that to see how it was associated with things like recovery and community integration. And we were um, encouraged to find that in these uh, regression models, which is a way of um, assessing associations between um, an independent or explanatory variable and a, a dependent variable or an outcome. We were found that we found that distal supports were able to predict people's recovery scores and their community integration scores, um, which meant you know how much they're doing in their communities, how much they feel a sense of belonging. The distal supports were important in predicting those important well-being outcomes over and above the influence of these traditional types of social support. So we know well that you know things like close, intimate relationships and partnerships. We know those are important, but we also know they're lower for people with mental illnesses. And so it was encouraging to us that we found a way to tap into a type of support, this distal support that ended up um, being uh, uh, as important or even more important in some regards than these more traditional relationships. And that to us was exciting and, and led to, to ideas for you know, developing interventions, for, for shifting those relationships into closer relationships, um, which we can talk about more. Um, but that, that was the initial research and the initial exciting piece. We, we also did some uh, qualitative coding of the types of support that was provided. Um, and in social support, research, there's typically this idea of there being kind of um, these three main types of support, one that's tangible, uh, which are, you know, provision of um, 
of favors or money. Uh, it could be lending someone something. It can be giving them a ride somewhere. It's something that's concrete um, compared to emotional support, which is more the provision of, of warmth and um, kindness. It could be a hug. It could be you know a sign of affection. And then there's informational support where someone is giving you suggestions or tips. And, and I think not too surprisingly, we found that the majority of the support that these distal support locations were providing were overwhelmingly tangible um, as opposed to uh, emotional. Um, and so th- they're not like these deep relationships where you would go for emotional investment, but they would be places you would go to ask for um, like a discount on something or to ask for your medication to be refilled, even if you can't pay for it, to make sure that symptoms aren't interfering or where someone is going to give you a free you know, dessert because you come there regularly. It's, it's those types of supports as opposed to um, more of the deep emotional investment that you get more from, from close others. Wow. That is really, really interesting. So I want to try and summarize for people that may, may not know, you know, some of the, all of the terminology that, that you use in terms of like the research, but I'm glad you, you know, you broke down like, you know, what a regression was and stuff. So it, it's, it's make sure I have it correctly correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like what you found was that for people with mental illness, that the number and, and quality, it seems like, of these distal supports, so these, you know, more informal relationships, were, were sort of better able to predict, is it community integration or recovery? <laughs> Uh, both actually, yeah, we okay. had two separate, yeah, two separate regressions that mm-hmm. we were running. So they were able to kind of predict. So the more support, more of these distal supports, or the stronger ones you had, the 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 better your recovery would be, or the stronger it would be. Or, um, wow, that's really interesting. Over and and it showed you were better able to predict it versus looking at the the traditional, you know, supports that we tend to think of when we think about supports in recovery, you know, strong family, uh, intimate, you know, support partners, uh, uh, friend, close friends. Uh, is that correct? That's exactly it. Yeah. Nice summary. Wow. What, what do you think it is about those relationships? I think, again, it's something that's very grounding and reassuring about having a regular presence in your life and for people whose social support systems have been disrupted for a variety of reasons, um, whether it was um, a, a psychiatric crisis that occurs that when that happens, a lot of times loved ones flee. They don't know how to respond to someone who's in crisis or if someone has had a period in which they've um, been uh, in, in inpatient, intensive inpatient care and they've, they've really lost contact with people. Or, you know, we know that there's a lot of social isolation among people with um, more chronic mental health challenges where, you know, people that I know, people I've worked with in this research talk about that the majority of their day is really spent on the couch watching TV. And so if they're not engaging in close relationships, there's something really comforting about the fact that when they do go on errands that we oftentimes take for granted or consider to be like, oh, it's the one, like I'm leaving work and I still have to go to the grocery store. I still have to go pick up dinner. Rather for them, it's something that is seen as something to look forward to and something that grounds them in their community and in a daily routine that um, we know that uh, given a lot of factors, um, individuals in the public mental health system 
uh, don't work as often as people um, who are not utilizing public mental health services. And it's beyond the scope of this show to go into those reasons. But we know that their days aren't spent in the same traditional activities or typical activities as um, individuals in the general population. And so for them to have these opportunities for this casual connection and to have someone recognize them and treat them well and to have them be able to cultivate even just a small social bond with this person, it's something that's really validating and redeeming. It also allows them an opportunity to practice um, socializing with someone for whom there's no like you're not going to lose anything here, right? The person's going to want to help you even if only because you're buying something from them. They're not going to reject you. There's not going to be the same level of fear of rejection as if you are asking a neighbor if they want to go out on a, out on a date or if you're taking a class and you find someone and you want to cultivate a friendship with someone, but you might be a non-traditional student or returning to school later in life. It, it's someone that you can start to learn, you know, if that is something that's a need, learn the basics of socializing and then use that and apply it to other areas of your life to either rebuild uh, networks with friends and family or to cultivate new uh, friendships and relationships with neighbors. And and so it, it's something, like I say, that's grounding and it makes someone feel part of a community. We all have a need and a fundamental sense of wanting to belong. And these relationships helps to provide, help to provide that support for people who often um, have limited opportunities for that type of support. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I, I think back to my yoga example before, like if and when I like stop going for a while, like I could imagine like it, it you know, you lose that grounding mm-hmm. or you lose that consistency or habit or structure to your life. And if you don't have those supports there in place, then it's a lot harder to like, jump back in you know and be like oh you know i need to start doing it. it's it's almost like a relapse like i stopped yeah. going but you know if i think if i had those supports if i was like oh you know when i go back like i'm gonna look forward to seeing that person or this person is probably gonna ask me like where i've been and, and probably be happy to see me like it definitely i could think of it, it would definitely give me potentially that little extra something to you know engage in that that behavior change or you know like you said like keep that structure for on a day-to-day basis that's really interesting so if we think about if we take the turn now to, to college campus let's think about like i know your research hasn't focused on on specifically college students but if we could speculate a little bit um you know on like who college students on a campus, because if they're online, then they're talking about the same distal supports that we've been talking about so far. You know, they live in a, a typical housing, you know, in the regular, you know, community that they probably are already a part of. In a college campus, though, it's a little bit of a, I don't want to call it an artificial community, but it's kind of a bubble. You you're, you're a, you work at a university, you know. Yeah. Um, so... if if we think about like who distal supports are to, to those students. Um, and also maybe if you could speculate a little bit about what you think in particular college students can derive, um, from strengthening those, those distal relationships. Yeah. So like you said, I haven't done a lot of work in the, in in college settings. And so I would uh, welcome your assistance in kind of pointing to some of these, but when I think of the distal supports that would exist on a college campus, um, you know, I think about people at the, you know, 
registrar's office who you may regularly go to for advice around um, student loans or paying fees or enrolling in classes. And again, mm-hmm. it's someone you don't know well, but that is beco- becoming part of your college experience and in some way as critical as um, the professors whom you're taking who you're taking classes from in your success. It could be those individuals. It could be people, I think about, um, you know, the coffee shops we have here on campus. Yep. And so, certainly there are folks who know me. And like one of the coffee shops that I used to go to regularly was under construction for a period of time. And I found like having to go to a different coffee shop, like, and not seeing the same people, like it did change my day and I actually mm-hmm. stopped going as often. I would just stay in my office and, and isolate in a sense. And so um, I can imagine that students in much the same way as I had cultivated these relationships at this one coffee shop, um, they have too. Or people who are, we have a lot of food carts around campus. So these would be places where I imagine students are going and taking a break from studying or from working. And it's a nice way to recharge the batteries. Um, uh, or for people who are in dorms and, you know, tired of the roommate, but still want to talk to someone they have someone regularly who they visit at a, a nearby um, coffee shop or restaurant or someone who works in one of the you know campus bookstores or or other locations yep. as you were asking the question i was trying to like wrestle with this idea of like where do professors in fact you know where do faculty fit in here and i don't think like in the way that i've been conceptualizing these distal supports i and others have really thought about these as more like um people who are um you know shop owners and part of your kind of errands mm-hmm. the professor plays a different role i mean it's still someone who would be probably considered a loose tie it's not someone that you know well but i don't know that i would call them like the same thing that we're talking about here with distal supports as the people in our kind of community locations what, what do you think i agree you know it's just due to the nature of the relationship you know it, it, sadly you know almost a position of power you right. know with the with the, the the leverage of the grade yeah i would not qualify it but i i was thinking of you know the people like you know like you were saying in the dorm it wouldn't be like your friends but it would be like you know the person you always see that that cleans the community areas you know like the janitors that in the the building that you where your 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 classroom is like you know i kind of know the janitors in in our building and you know, it's fun to, you know, BS around them for a second, you know, when you pass them in the hallway. You know, it's just, you know, those are like some of the distal supports I, I think of like on my campus. Um, and it just, it, it just, again, like what you were saying before, it just makes so much sense to me from this this grounding perspective of like the person, like I urge the people that are listening to think about like for yourselves, like who are those distal supports in your life? And like, what, what value do you derive from them other than, you know, the typical service you, you normally rely on them for. Um, And then think about what it would be like to not have those, you know, and, and how, how lonely and, and isolating it would feel. So it's been, it's been interesting to kind of put it into perspective and really think about it as we've talked from, from the college student perspective, somebody that might be experiencing, you know, symptoms of mental illness, especially again, as we think about it, the oftentimes the, the time that mental illness begins, um, you know, is that college age. And so for to be experiencing it for the first time must even be more of a, of a challenge. Right. And you've left the comfort of home. It's an entirely new environment. And as you were thinking, I started to also think about their differences according to urban and rural environments. And so I think for 
college students at rural campuses or for uh, campuses that aren't within an urban context, um, it's even more important to cultivate those distal supports within the campus community because you're not going to be as likely to have them um, in the broader community. You know, I've, I've done this research now in Columbia, South Carolina, which is in, um, a smaller urban setting, and then Portland, Oregon, which is a larger urban setting. And in both of them, you know, people were readily able to answer because they're because we're in communities that are resource rich. But if it's a rural community where you don't have the same opportunities in the broader community, um, it would be all the more critical that students are encouraged to connect with folks. Like you mentioned, the janitor, the person in the dorm who's you know at the front window waiting when you come in. And, and so, yeah, haven't haven't done this research in rural settings, but can see that'd be quite different. And do you have any advice on like for people that that struggle with this? Is it just, you know, developing better social skills? Because I mean, it just I must come naturally to people and and more difficult for others. I think about my wife and she's just such a she, she used to joke around how like friendly she was with all the janitors when she went to like high school and, and like that's why I bring it up janitors like we, we kind of joke about it but she really is like she she could just like become you know engage in that relationship so seamlessly and, and I, I could do it but I know that I can't do it as, as easily as she can so like what do you do you ever do has your research taken you there like ways to develop this better in people yeah, and I would say it's more of my like trainings that I've done um, with mental health peers uh, around socializing. It would be more where I would draw kind of an answer from than specifically research around interventions aimed at in- enhancing social support. But mm-hmm. um, you're talking about your wife makes me think then of my wife, who's the opposite extreme to where she actively like tries to avoid any social interaction mm-hmm. in these settings. Like she doesn't want to become known. She doesn't want the person to know her name. If, the, if she becomes known, she'll go to a different coffee shop. She doesn't want to talk to the neighbors. Um, and that's preference. And so I think that's where it's important to mm-hmm. go to the idea that for each individual, it's going to be um, a very different kind of story of what they need in their social networks. And so by no means am I trying to draw prescriptions that all people need this, but I mm-hmm. think that most people do want that social bonding. And so because we know it's harder for people with mental illnesses, that's why this is all the more important as another option. It doesn't take away from the fact, though, that at the end of the day, we we would much prefer that they have close, intimate relationships and we need more work to do that. It's almost kind of like, uh, you know, in in the absence of, we recommend this. Um, But but back to your your initial question um, around how you can help people with with doing this, I think it's just... um, a, providing support, whatever supports they need. And so I think that like um, uh, peer support programs have been involved with that really don't kind of say like, all right, it's now your responsibility to go find the relationship. Good luck. It's rather like, hey, do you want me to come with you? Um, can I can I come with you to introduce you and to make the, the, the um, process seem a little bit less daunting or scary? Um, so that strength in numbers feel where I'm going to go with you to the setting the first few times and then I'll pull back. Um, and then after the, after you feel comfortable, after you've begun to kind of grease the wheels of that relationship, I, I think it's also working with people to recognize and appreciate boundaries and to know that like these relationships aren't ones that are going to initially you know, going to immediately mean that like, because I said hi to you, I, I'm now going to give my phone number. We're going to become Facebook mm-hmm. friends. I come to your birthday party. Like that's that's important, and I think it's not. It's important for us not to assume that we all know the basic mechanics of how to form relationships. And I think that's 
really important for college students too, as they're really early in kind of like learning how to form those non-familial, non-classmate bonds. Um, so working around boundaries, working around providing any resources around strength and numbers. Um, it's about having having options for different types of places where you where you feel. You know, it, it's interesting that. I think we have assumptions about some of like the the chains like Starbucks or McDonald's and we assume that like oh those are terrible places and we need to get people to go to you know independent restaurants and coffee shops only. I've been really surprised in my um I've done some work here with individuals who um, are experiencing homelessness and also have mental illnesses talking about where they feel most comfortable. And they really prefer like going the McDonald's or Starbucks than like say here we have Stumptown Coffee or Ristretto Roasters that are more of kind of like the high end mm-hmm. um, chic coffee stop coffee stores because there's more of a discrepancy that they feel um, more similarity to the people that they may see at McDonald's there's more of like an appreciation they, they can go hang out there's less of this feeling of like there are four tables and we're trying to get people in and out um, and so I think it's it's working with people to identify a variety of these locations that they can then choose rather than telling them, all right, I like this place, so you go, the, you know, you should go there. Um, so I think, yeah, yeah, those would be the steps. Boundaries, um, strength in numbers, or, or providing the resources, traveling with them, um, giving uh, lists of places and options. Um, we all like, you know, to be able to try places and find some of the fits. Um, those are some initial thoughts. Yeah. And I'm glad you, you kind of prefaced it with this idea that, you know, this is definitely a choice and we're not advocating that everybody should go out and, you know, you know, have this as, a, um, you know, a goal in their mind or feel, you know, somewhat, you know, feel a, some sort of discouragement if they don't have it. Um, it's more just kind of like, I think the, the reason I wanted to have you on the show is just to kind of bring it to bring to light that these relationships are actually, you know, do have value beyond probably what you initially think of when you think of these relationships. So um, I think that's a really important point I wanted to kind of drive home again. Um, so we have some faculty in the audience and you're a faculty member at universities. Like you think about the faculty supporting students with mental health issues. Um, we, we said earlier that, you know, we wouldn't, neither of us would consider faculty members to be distal supports directly to students, but do you, is there any way that faculty can better maybe support students uh, in, in developing or strengthening these distal relationships? It's tough to say. I mean, there's always like this tension when you have people who are in places of power, be, be it a faculty person or be it your psychiatrist or your clinician, like when you're getting instructed by someone who's in power, like, and, and when that becomes kind of like the, the support in, in essence, like it's almost hard to think about, we want these to be very much in the community and very much like emerge naturally and organically. So it's almost hard to think about a top down kind of instruction of here's where to go. Um, so it's hard to answer that. I think in many ways it's more like educating college students about the variety of different supports that are available mm-hmm. and i found that when i talk about these distal supports at first students are like what what is that but then when, when i like start to you know mention some of my own like the comic book store or like someone i see at a bar or, or a barista at a coffee shop that i go to they're like oh yeah and i have you know this person and that person and like it immediately clicks with them and they're immediately like really jazzed about it much more so than if i had said like tell me about your mom you know and i don't yeah. know what what that is there's something like I think in some ways then it gets into like 
hobbies and preferences and college students get excited about talking about that. I, mean, I, I felt it too. Yeah. <laughs> when we yeah, started yeah. talking about it, I was like, oh yeah, like <laughs> this person yoga is like, it, it really does bring out this, this want to talk about it when, when you have yeah. them. And um, yeah, that is really interesting. So like, yeah, I guess encouraging students, you know, to, to think more about that and to, to be, you know, to be okay with it, um, you know, is a good yeah. way to start. And not dismiss it, not say mm-hmm. like, well, that's, that doesn't matter because that's just where I go to, you know, do my grocery shopping or that's just where I go after work. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's a really important does matter. part of day, right? Yeah, you know? so it, it does it matter. Does matter. So talk about it, talk about the research term, talk about it, because usually, you know, if you're taking a social psych class or when I teach my community psychology class, like, you know, it's typically you talk about only the traditional, you know, social support types. And so add in this new, you know, different way of thinking about support, engage students in dialogue around it, let them talk about their distal supports, talk about your own. And I think by doing that, it then gets people to look at them more as like, actually things that can enhance their well-being and help them feel better and for people for students with mental illnesses can you know even aid in their recovery process yeah i definitely think so i uh appreciate that so this is uh this has been good i really appreciate you coming on the show greg this went really well and um i hope that people out there um kind of got some value and started thinking about their own uh, distal relationships and sort of maybe take stock of them, you know, thinking about, you know, doing that assessment of like, you know, the, the valuable, the, the valuable ones in their lives, or maybe the ones that have, they used to have that have dropped off for whatever reason that they might, you know, for, and sometimes it's just, you know, I know, I know how it is. Like, sometimes it's like you change jobs and, you know, you go from seeing people all the time to like never seeing them. And, you know, it's just like it's, it's a change happens and it's not through any fault of any person, but you just not, not no longer come into contact. Like you said, the, the coffee shop is undergoing renovations and, you know, it's just, you know, just kind of be mindful of it uh, will be, you know, a good thing for students to think about in, in their own recovery or their own sort of goal attainment. Yeah. Any last uh, either advice or, or anything that we didn't cover you wanted to bring up? Um I don't think so. I think we covered everything. I, re- I really appreciated your questions and your, your summaries and, and reframing and mainly just making space uh, for this conversation and allowing me to talk about my work and my experiences. Yeah, great. So if people are interested in more uh, about you or your work, um, I can include any links. Um, but do you have just generally, do you have a, a website or, or where people can read more? Yes. Um, so um, I'm faculty at Portland State University. And so I have a faculty page. I'm in the psychology department. I also have um, a research group called the Community Inclusion Research Group, um, CIRG. And it's, uh, let's see here, Surge, so CIRGPDX.wordpress.com. And you can read about our projects and our collaborators and um, students in the lab. And feel free to, to reach out via email or through the website. Okay, great. I will include both the, the link to your faculty page and that website you just gave for the community. Um, if you're interested in learning more, or probably if you have a question, he, uh, Greg would get back to you. So uh, thank you really very much for, for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks. All right, and we're back. And I hope you guys really uh, enjoyed that interview as much as I did. And it sort of, um, if you hadn't been thinking about 
you know, the value that these people sort of on the periphery uh, play in your, or the role they play in your life or can play in your life and in your recovery, uh, you're definitely probably thinking about it now. Uh, so thanks again to Greg there for the interview. So that is it for today. Um, quick update on my goal. I did uh, a little bit of progress on waking up in the morning. Uh, so I did it three out of five days this week. I also learned that I'm not going to be able to do it five out of five days. So I would like to be able to get to four out of five. Uh, so I felt like this was a good start. You know, there's no reason to put pressure on myself just starting out this new habit and routine. So I hope you guys don't put pressure on yourselves if you're, you know, just not exactly where you want to be right away with your goal attainment. But stick at it, you know, reach out. Let me know how you're doing. Um, it's kind of weird uh, to think about this. But, you know, we're now done with three episodes, which means we're done with three weeks of the spring semester, which means we're 20% done already with this semester. And it just freaking started. So I hope you guys have a great weekend. uh, And I will be back at you next week with uh, part two of our uh, executive functioning for college students mini series. So stay tuned for that. Until then, have a good one. Peace.